sure that that is on your list of things to do. Thank God for each and every one that you're here. So I'm asking you, to, I invite you to turn with me to your, uh, to the copy, your copy of the Word of God, Genesis chapter 29. Genesis chapter 29, and I'm going to start in verse 32. I, I intended for the lesson to go through verse 35. We'll start in verse 32. If you have it, say amen. Amen. To Leah, so Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son, and she said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, that I am hated. He has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and she bore a son and she said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have bore him three sons. Therefore she named him Levi and she conceived again a son and said, now I will praise the Lord Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. I'm going to ask if you would adjust this for me. Amen. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you and we bless you for what our hearts are preparing to hear. Oh God, may all of those who are listening near and far hear a word from the Lord that they may apply it to their very lives. For you promised, oh God, when we are obedient, we will prosper and be successful. In Jesus' name, the church said amen, amen, and amen. Praise God. We thank you, and thank you. you. May be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. A married couple had a big argument and ended up giving each other the silent treatment. Two days into their verbal communication shutdown, the husband realized that he needed his wife's help in order to catch a flight to Chicago for a business meeting he had to get up at 5 a.m. in the morning not wanting to be the first to break the silence he wrote on a piece of paper please wake me up at 5 a.m. The next morning, the man woke up only to discover his wife was already out of the bed. It was 9 a.m., and his flight had long since departed. He was about to find his wife and demand an answer for her failing to wake him up when he noticed a piece of paper by the bed. It's 5 a.m., wake up. Amen. Isn't it interesting how creatively cruel, creatively cruel husbands and wives can be towards each other? If couples devoted as much time and effort to working out how to bless their spouses, there would be less anger and disappointment. 
How many of you know that there are no perfect marriages? Because there are no perfect people. We all are sinners, and we have fallen short of the glory of God. In fact, there are some couples that should have never said, I do. Every marriage is not made in heaven. Some marriages are like bad dreams that never end. Now, if you were in that kind of marriage, would you not raise your hand? <laughs> of course you won't raise your hand. <laughs> it is true that smiling faces don't always tell the truth. They tell lies. What happens between couples behind closed doors would shock and amaze some of us because of the public performance that couples have become so good at in public. Now, before you think that I'm bashing marriages, let me clarify. Marriage is beautiful. It's what we do to marriage that makes marriage ugly. And I should say unspiritual people due to marriage that makes marriage unattractive. Let me also add that for single men and women who are justifying why you are waiting to get married because marriages can be so bad, I want you to understand that as we go through this word that marriages were created by God and most of us should be married because you do not have the gift of singleness. And if you are justifying remaining single while at the same time whoremongering, that's an old word, it means fornicating, you are in sin and God is not pleased. And if you're comfortably sinning, God says, don't be deceived, fornicators and adulterers will not inherit the kingdom of God. What needs to happen is that we should grow up spiritually and prepare ourselves to be married. And I especially place that charge to men who are just playing the field rather than being grown up in the Lord and taking responsibilities to be obedient to his command and, at, and, and encouragement that he who findeth a wife, somebody said amen, findeth a good thing. Wait, wait, can I hear you, brothers? Somebody say amen. Amen, amen. I can see you. I can see you behind those masks. When I counsel couples that are miserable in their marriages, one common reason that they give is that one that, that on some very deep level, each partner feels rejected by the other person. Each person, if you were to ask them, why is your marriage so bad? they would say, if they could summarize in the word, they would say rejection, rejection. The failure to, re to meet a real or unrealistic expectation 
whether spoken or unspoken, causes people in marriage to feel rejected. You may not have a clue why your spouse feels rejected because it can be unspoken. And it may not even be based on reality, but if a person feels rejected, whether true or untrue, they are experiencing rejection. Here's the demonic part of how the voice of rejection works in marriage. When you feel rejected by your spouse, the natural response to rejection is to withdraw emotionally to protect yourself. And when you withdraw, whether, you, whether because of a verbal or nonverbal offense by your spouse, emotionally because you feel rejected, the natural response of your spouse is to withdraw emotionally because now he or she feels rejected by your withdrawing from them. And your, your withdrawal says to your mate, leave me alone, I don't want to be bothered, I don't care for you, when in reality your withdrawal emotionally is really a silent declaration of, I do want to be bothered. I do want to be significant. I do want you to treat me as if I matter. But the devil gets in it, and now we're in our mutual corners, hurting because both partners feel rejected. And the devil gets the victory. In Genesis chapter 29, verses 15, through 35, we meet a woman who dealt with rejection on a daily basis from the day she was pushed out of her mother's womb. What her life teaches us, what the life of Leah teaches us, is that marriage doesn't always silence the voice of rejection. In fact, it puts it on megaphone. It, it embellishes it. It blasts it out even more because broken people get married. And when we discover where, where our brokenness is, often it becomes that very area that is used as a target by the enemy when husbands and wives are in conflict one with another. Leah experienced the voice of rejection and suffered many sleepless nights and days filled with tears until she learned, like we must learn, how to silence the voice of spousal rejection. We need to learn how to silence. We've already talked about learning how to discern the voice of God to silence the other voices. We learned on last week uh, uh, also how to silence other voices, a parental uh, 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 voices of rejection. We've learned that. This week we're going to be talking about when you're married to someone, and whether intentionally or unintentionally, because they may not be capable of meeting your need because of some lack in their life, the brokenness in their life, but whatever the, whatever the limitation is, it's devastating you. And the echo that you hear by the lack of love and acceptance you receive is you reject me. You don't really love me. 
Listen to what verse 31 in chapter 29 of Genesis says. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, I like the way the King James tr translates that verse. In three, on three different occasions, in verse 30, it says that Leah was unloved, that Rachel was loved more. But the literal translation in the Hebrew is not unloved. It's Jacob hated Leah. And when, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. When I read that verse, it literally sent shockwaves through my spirit. And, 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 and what caused me to, to just literally stand up when I thought about the rejection that we all have either been guilty of or been recipients of, I was reminded that when you are rejected by your spouse, God takes notice. God takes notice. The Lord is watching over your marriage. The Bible says, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, when I thought about that, I, was, I remember the commercial where the father gives his daughter permission to go on her first date, and he allows her to use the car, and, and they finish with their date, but instead of going directly home, they leave uh, the uh, movie or wherever they were going er a little early, and they end up in a place they shouldn't have been. And just as the young man's getting ready to make his first move to get his first kiss, guess who pops up on the back seat of the car? Dad pops up! <laughs> And the, the boy and the young man, the, the boy and the, and, the, and the daughter are totally shocked and, and terrified and, and don't know what to say because they didn't know that dad was in the back seat watching. And the presence of father in the car changed their behavior. Now, while God is not in the back seat of our car, in the same sense that the father was in the back seat of the commercial, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. I was remembering uh, the story back in Genesis chapter 16 when Hagar, a young pregnant Egyptian handmaiden, found herself being abused by Sarah, the wife of Abraham, because Sarah was jealous that Hagar was carrying Abraham's baby as a surrogate mother based on an agreement that she and Abraham, the, Hagar had nothing to do with it. She was just treated like a piece of property. And now she's fleeing for her life, and she's crying, and she's pregnant. She has nowhere to go, no family, no money, and she feels like she's all alone, and she's going to die carrying this child that she never wanted in the first place. God saw Hagar's plight, and he dispatched the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord said to Hagar, the Lord has saw your misery. The Lord has seen your rejection. Then he goes on to say, I want you to return to Abraham and Sarah's house, and here's what's going to happen prophetically for the son that you're carrying, and you shall name him Ishmael. And after the angel of the Lord departed, Hagar named the place 
where the angel of the Lord appeared and gave her the word that the Lord saw and heard her plight. She named the Lord, the Lord has seen me. And the literal word for the Lord has seen me is El Roi, the Lord sees me. So we need to understand something, that when, when rejection is occurring at the hands of a spouse, in marriage, I don't care how dark the room is, I don't care how many uh, locks you have on the door, how far you have traveled, God is watching over marriage. God sees you. God hears the things that we say to each other. I want you to know that that shook me up. I ought to know that. I'm a pastor. I, I don't, no, no, no. This, that, when God saw God is watching over our marriages. The Lord watches over our marriages because marriage is sacred. It's holy. It is consecrated. It is set apart by God as an institution that we should not enter into unadvisedly, unwisely, because God will hold us account. Marriage is sacred. God is watching over what he what is sacred, what is holy. He's watching over it by divine origin. This is why God is watching over. Marriage is the, is, God is the architect of marriage. He is the one who created marriage, the originator. He has the blueprint for how it's supposed to work. And so God is watching over marriage because it's sacred. Why is it sacred? Because he made it sacred, and he's watching over it by by divine origin. He's also watching over by divine definition. He said, for this reason, God defines what constitutes a biblical marriage, a legitimate marriage. He said, for this reason, a man and a woman shall leave their father and their mother, and they shall be joined in holy matrimony, a man and a woman. God defines, not the Constitution of the United States. The question is, do you believe the Bible? I know that's not politically correct, but I'm going to stand with the Lord. The reason we are in the mess that we're in is because we have disregarded the word of God. So God is watching over marriage by divine origin. He, he has the patent. <laughs> he, he, he has the copyrights. Anybody that goes against those who have a patent and a copyright, they are in violation of the law by design. He, gave, he gives roles. He also, by definition and by design, God gives roles to, to husbands and wives in marriage. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 through 32, Wives, come under the authority of your husbands voluntarily, for he is your spiritual head, as Christ is the head of the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church by sacrificing for his wife. Husbands, present your, your wives as your divine assignment, as, as, as brides without a spot or a blemish. Husbands have an assignment to make sure that the wife becomes everything that God intends. Your wife shouldn't be leading you spiritually. You should be leading her spiritually. That doesn't mean you need to know everything that she knows. She may be a scholar. You just, you know, you're just glad to be in the bus. That's fine. Just be on the bus. Or I just, just be driving the bus. 
Don't be sending your wife and your children to church. You bring them to church. And so I'm convinced that women in many ways are a lot tougher than we are, bro. That's a whole nother sermon. We'll preach that later. You guys get mad at me later. But amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Somebody clap. Yeah, yeah. Tony Evans, Tony Evans said, my wife's DNA is on everything that I am. Anything that Tony Evans is, Lois Evans' DNA is on it. God is watching over marriage by, his, by, by divine origin, by definition, by design, by duration. When God originally created marriage, he said that a man and a woman shall be joined together. Marriage was intended to be between one man and one woman for life. That's God's original design. And the scripture says in Matthew chapter 19, because of the hardness of the hearts of men, because of sin, the ideal that God created for marriage became a real deal. And so God gives concessions under certain circumstances. And so God is watching over marriage by duration, by design, by definition, by divine origin. But he's also watching over marriage by demonstration. And he, in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32, it says, I know this is hard to understand, but it is an illustration of the way we are parts of the body of Christ. Marriage is an illustration on earth of the relationship of Jesus' church to him. And when marriage doesn't function the way that he designed it to, we, the world looks at Christian marriages and they can't see Jesus. And so he's watching over how are you illustrating the unity and the diversity and the love that I have for you and you should have for one another in the context of marriage. God said, I'm watching over marriage by demonstration. Are you demonstrating by how you treat one another your relationship to Jesus Christ? Can people see Christ in you based on how you treat your wife and your husband? Not at church but at home. Now we understand this. Every time you get out of your car, you do this thing, you push the button, <laughs> you, 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 you activate the alarm system. Now there's a reason you activate the alarm system because that car is yours. And even though it's yours, you're still making car payments on it. And any unauthorized driver or person that wants to use your vehicle without your permission, they're breaking the law, they're stealing. And so somebody tries to get into your car, once the alarm is activated, what happens is the alarm will go off and let you know that someone is in violation. Someone is trying to do what to your vehicle that you own and you're paying car note payments that they don't have the right to do. I want you to know when we mistreat each other, the God who sees you, an alarm goes off in heaven and it gets God's attention because marriage is holy. It's holy. Somebody say amen. So not only is God watching over marriage because it's sacred and that he takes notice when we do reject one another, God also takes action on behalf of those who are rejected. Look at what the scripture says in verse 31. He opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. 
Rachel was also a rejecter of Leah. And we're going to see that more clearly as we go through. So what God does, if you are the perpetrator of rejection, he will initiate divine chastisement or judgment. Rachel's womb was closed by the Lord. But he opened Leah's womb. Let me share something that we missed. We missed this. And our country is still in the throes of division and coronavirus that we should have had behind us months ago. And even at the very outset, we shouldn't be here. 770,000 people could be alive today if we understood this principle. You want to write this one down. Divine discipline and judgment starts in the spiritual realm before it is fully manifested in the physical. Divine chastisement and judgment is activated in the spiritual realm or starts in the spiritual realm before it's fully manifested in the physical. God closed Rachel's womb, but in her lack of spiritual discernment, she had no idea that that was divine judgment. God can be judging you because you're rejecting your spouse and you don't even know it. The thing that you've been praying for, the reason God hasn't released is that in the spiritual realm, he has already acted divine chastisement because he chastens, he, he, he spanks those who he loves. He disciplines. And so sometimes we are being disciplined by the Lord and we think it's bad luck. Oh, they just don't like me because of the color of my skin. They just don't like me because I'm a woman. They just don't, no, 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 no. God's whipping your butt. And, and, and unfortunately, we don't get it until we have a prodigal son experience. We're in the pig's pen. And we don't know that God let us spend all of our money, lose all of our so-called friends. Now we look like we, we, we'd have been eaten up by wolves, skin and bone, and we're so desperate that we're willing to do whatever it takes just to eat. The prodigal son was in a pig's pen getting ready to eat hog slop, and the Bible said he came to himself. He had a, he had a eureka moment. He came to understand that what he was going through physically was a result of spiritual divine judgment. He came to himself. I'm going home. I don't have to live like this. I want you to know that spiritual chastisement is released in, in, on us when we don't even have the consciousness to recognize that that's why we're going through what it is that we can't make it through. God is dis disciplining us. Rachel had no clue. Carnality will do that to you. But thank God for the pig pen. The Bible said that Leah conceived and she bore a son and she called his name Reuben. And look, notice what her recognition was. Even though she was rejected by her husband, unloved by her husband, the Bible says, for she said, surely the Lord has looked upon my affliction, my rejection. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. That leads to another thing. While spiritual discipline may be released before you understand in the physical realm that is God, we also should understand that the Lord's blessing or chastisement doesn't mean that your spouse will think any differently of you. 
Leah erroneously thought, now that I've had a baby for him, now that I've proven that I'm a woman to him, he will love me. Now that I've allowed him to use me however he chose to use me, he will love me now. Jacob didn't love her anymore or treat her any differently. And so, even though you may be being blessed by the Lord and willingly changing to do what it takes to make your marriage work, it doesn't mean that the person who is rejecting you will stop. They haven't been to the pig's pen yet. Some of you remember what happened in Houston. This is over uh, 20 years ago. A woman and her husband had a dental pro practice, had owned about five properties. They were multimillionaires, and they had a great marriage, at least she thought, until she caught her husband with another woman. She loved her husband so much, she talked with him, and he convinced her. He said, look, the only reason I went outside of my marriage is because I don't find you attractive anymore. You're overweight, and, and, and you're getting a little older, and you got some tags here, some bags here. Uh, and she said, I'll, I'll take care of the sags and the bags. Just give me another chance. So she had liposuction, plastic surgery, lost weight, a body size, changed her wardrobe, uh, 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 everything that she thought her husband wanted so that she could have his love rather than his rejection, only to find her husband coming out of a hotel with the, with the receptionist at the job. Now, after beating up the woman, <laughs> laying into the woman, a couple licks, she got into her car with her 17-year-old stepdaughter. And when she saw her husband, she didn't have consciousness or connectiveness with reality. She floored it. And she hit him, and then she hit him. The two strikes, you ain't out. She went and got him again three times. Used her husband as roadkill. Killed him dead. Why? Because she mistakenly thought, if I could become what he wants me to be, get down a few sizes, go, get, change my appearance to look a little younger, Act a little saucier. Become somebody I'm not. Act like those pornographic uh, examples of women that he sees. Maybe if I act like that, then he will love me. Only to discover that you will never be who God didn't intend for you to be. And so even when God is blessing you and the person that's rejecting you is being chastised, that doesn't mean they, that they're going to change their behavior Here's the second thing that we need to realize. Not only that when you're being rejected, God notices, but I want you to take notice of who was rejecting Leah. First, it was her father. The Bible says that Laban had two daughters, and the oldest of the two was, was Leah, and the youngest was Rebecca, and Leah wasn't too attractive. And, and they described her by her physical appearance, and they did the same thing with with Rachel, she was attractive, well-shaped, and et cetera. She was a knockout. But in, even in that description, it shows you that the way these women were being 
it, it, it described in the way they were thought of was not based on who they were, but how they looked. They were objects to their own father. And the rejection of Leah is, is, is further displayed is that, Le that, that, that uh, Laban gave his daughter Leah away in marriage to a man who didn't want her. Jacob didn't want Leah. He woke up one morning and found that a Mickey had been put in his drink. He thought he had his honeymoon night, his first night of marriage with, 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 with Rachel, the one he had worked seven years for, only to discover, oh my God, what is happening here? He goes to Laban and he says, what have you done? You know I didn't want Leah. And, and, and uh, Laban doesn't say, well, she's just, she's just as nice, and please don't mistreat her. No. He said, work, more, work seven more years, <laughs> because our custom, we're we supposed to be believers, but we are operating by the principles of the world. Our custom is that the older marries first. He didn't tell him that was a part of the deal. And then he says, just fulfill her bridal week. A bridal week, man, when, when you guys are finished with your honeymoon, I'll give you my other daughter. So that the bridal week was seven days. So after seven days, he got a second wife. That's not biblical. Polygamy is not God's ideal. Every time you see a polygamous relationship in the, mar in, in the Bible, it never worked. It never worked. It was hell in the house. You know what I mean? You can't have too many cooks in the kitchen. It was always bad. And it was never good for the women, especially. I understand why men want to join religions that allow them to have multiple wives. They got a problem if a woman says, well, I'm getting ready to join a religion that allows me to have multiple husbands. Then you're, then you're everything but a child of God. So, so she was rejected by her father, rejected by her peers. They called Leah because of her birth, they called her Leah because of a birth defect. They said she had pale eyes or weary eyes or, or, or tired eyes. It, it, it means that something was different about her. And you know how cruel children are. If they find something different about you, they will be unmerciful. And some of us were that way too. If you're a little shorter, got a little longer foot or a, a little oversized head, your, your body's growing in your head, before it gets to where it's supposed to be, you're going to be called everything. Jug head, long head, pencil head. I've been called everything but a child of God. Bullet head. And not just by my peers. But the point is that she was rejected by her parents. You don't hear anything about her mother stepping up and say, don't treat my daughter like that. And, and, and she's special and she's different and, and God made her that. None of that. She was also rejected by her sister, Rachel, who was jealous of her. She competed with Leah to prove who was the best wife, who was the most woman, the most woman back then, and who could have the most babies, male babies. So she had rejection from her, from her sister. She was rejected by her husband. The Bible says that Jacob hated Leah. Even if we want to be kind with God, there's no, you don't like, in the Bible, there's no such thing as like or dislike. You either love or hate. So scripture says, God saw that Leah was hated. She was rejected by the man she loved. But here's the greatest source of rejection of all. Self-rejection. 
you all listen to this. Self-rejection is a form of self-sabotage. It usually occurs after we convince ourselves we're not good enough. Something's wrong with us. Someone can do it better. And here's how we engage in self-rejection. Minimizing our successes while maximizing our failures. You don't know how to celebrate, be celebrated by others. If people want to just say, thank you, great, wonderful, I'm taking you out. Nah, I don't have to take me out. I don't deserve it. It wasn't me. It was God. Yeah, please step on me. Kick me. You know, so you maximize your, your weaknesses, your failures, but you minimize your successes. You don't know how to tell yourself, that was a good job. You don't know how to be okay with the fact that you're human and, and everybody makes a mistake, but it's not the end of the world. Here's a second reason that uh, self-rejection is so dangerous. We measure your, our value based on the opinions of others. Leah and wives in general see them, the value, their value from the eyes of their husbands. I can tell you, a thousand people can tell me how great a message was, but until my wife says it, it doesn't have the same impact on me. Now listen to me. It's okay to get people's points of view of what you're like and, and how, you, how you can get better, but ultimately, the person that determines your worth and value is not man's opinion, because man looks at the outward appearance. But God is looking at your heart, at the character of your heart. And what God says about you is that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I don't make any mistakes. People that are involved in a habit of self-rejecting measure your worth by how people respond. When you walk in a room, nobody smiles, nobody high-fives you, nobody noticed you. And then all of a sudden you feel something wrong with me. They don't like me. I must have done something wrong. Or it's them, and now you, they have wrecked your day. Self-rejection. Here's another reason why we uh, self-reject. Masking your true feelings to avoid rejection. We pretend that it's okay when we're excluded or someone hurts us. We don't want to be rejected. So we laugh on the outside while you're crying on the inside. Because if people really knew that I'm hurt, they wouldn't want me around if they knew what I was really like. And so you pretend that everything's okay while you're struggling with depression and isolation and anger. But you can't tell anybody because if you do, you'll be rejected. And so it's like a double-edged sword. On the one hand, you need to be telling somebody. On the other hand, we mask our true feelings because we're afraid to be rejected. Men are particularly guilty of this. We don't tell anybody our weaknesses. We don't want to be vulnerable to anybody. Men aren't vulnerable. Men don't cry. Yes, they do. Here's another cause. Masking, ex ma making excuses for people that mistreat you. We blame, we blame ourselves for being mistreated. 
and refuse to take action to stop mistreatment because somehow we feel helpless. You actually, somebody mistreats you, they take your money, your lunch money, your lunch money, you say, well, if I had put it in my pocket, if I had gone through the other door, if I had come with my friends, no, that person who took your money violated you. And we need to be able to say when someone hurts us that they did it. It's not my fault. What had Abel done to Cain except worship the Lord? And so sometimes people will mistreat you because they're angry at God, but they can't beat God. So they're going to take it out on you because you represent who God is. Making excuses for people that mistreat you It's dangerous to make excuses for people that mistreat you. We're going to go a little over today. So buckle up. Because what we do, we, in, we misinterpret what humility is. We call allowing people to mess over us humility. No, that's not humility. That's a spirit of fear of being rejected. Allowing people to take advantage of you isn't humility. Refusing to better yourself. I don't know. I couldn't get a better job. I'll never pass this test. I can't do it. That ain't humility. That's fear. I, I can't try that. They don't want me to be around them. I'm not going to ask. I'm never going to make those flight arrangements. I'm never going to travel here. I'm never going to do that. That's not humility. I'll just give all my money to the Lord. You can give some to give the Lord said, give me the tenth. Just start right there. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord, the fullness thereof, and all that dwell therein. He allowed us to be a part of the world so we can enjoy it. We get to taste a little heaven on this side. So humility is not saying, I ain't going to buy me no new shoes. I ain't going to buy me a new coat. I ain't gonna, nah, I'll just go right down to the, uh, I'll buy everybody else a new coat, and I'll, I'll drive the same old car that's breaking down every other weekend. You may not buy a new car, but you're fixing one like it's a new car. So making excuses. Let me run on. Now, why do couples reject their spouses? False expectations. Write that down. Leah was not the person Jacob thought he was marrying. We play the dating game before we get married. Hell just right, saying all the right things. You want to go to hockey games? Sure. You want to go to the ballet? Sure. You hate the ballet. You want to go shopping with me? Come on. You want to stay on the phone all night? Yes. And then you get married. Guess what comes off? The mask. And you turn over one day, oh, no, it's you. <laughs> False expectations. You expect that when you get married, the fake dating process, Now I'm not saying everybody fakes when they date. Not everybody. It's going to continue on. That's, that's make pretend. And so you're setting yourself up to be rejected. Fear of intimacy. You are afraid to trust anyone with your heart because you've been hurt. And so one of the reasons why we reject our spouses is because we're afraid that if we ever tell them, you hurt me, I, lo I really love you, I'm here for you, 
I, I really don't understand. Can you help me? Uh, I was, we, we don't want to say, I'm wrong. Can you help me? I'm scared. Brothers get scared, too. I was drinking last night. I've been up since 3.30 this morning. I kept seeing these demonic spirits. I'm like, turn it. And you know what? I said, Lord, why am I seeing this? Because I, I was reading about it before I went to bed. I'm, I'm trying to read, well, what does this mean? It means that don't read about that before you go to bed. <laughs> but if you're afraid of, of commitment, a lot of men, they're afraid to get married. They're not afraid to bounce here and there. But you're afraid that if you get married, it may not work. No, it may not work. But I guarantee you, if you marry someone who is spiritual and you are, it will work. And marriage will be a delight. It will be a joy. It will be a blessing. It will blow your mind. You'll be wondering, why did I wait so long? The problem is you ain't spiritual. Ain't nothing wrong with marriage. Here's another thing that causes us to reject our spouse, false confidence. We think we could have done better. I could have married Joe. Joe ain't want you. I could still have Sally. Ain't nobody no line waiting for you. God said, he was faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler. You're not faithful with what you got. Why would God give you something better? The problem is you're despising what God has given you. So you got this false confidence. I remember this sister. She just, oh, this poor man, she beat him to the ground. Every time, slept on the couch downstairs, the uh, uh, youngest son sleeping in a bed with her. He did, I mean, just terrible. He's, he's sitting in the back of the car. The son's driving the car. And he's a big old dude in the back of some little uh, Volkswagen. And I'm like, she said, well, she in her mind, I don't need you. I could do better. Guess what? That man actually eventually left. He married. She's still single. False confidence. Familiarity breeds content. You take your spouse for granted. I got her now. <laughs> oh, man, I had, I had to call her every night, send flowers on Valentine, had to get my ride, do all kinds of stuff. I got her now. Why do I need to put on cologne? Why do I need to shave? Why do I need the dirt from under my fingernails? Why do I have to say I love her? I got her now. <laughs> you dirty self. <laughs> Why do I need to change nightgowns? Why do I need to get clean? Why do I, no, no, I got him now. Familiarity breeds contentment. You have to work, you have to fight for your marriage. Fight for it. Forgiveness has been withheld because of a past transgression. Somebody hurts you and you've decided they'll never do it again. I got mine. Back then, I depended on him. And if he left, I wouldn't have had a house. I wouldn't have had any money. I wouldn't have any income. Guess what? I got mine now. I go when I want to go. I come when I, and I, I don't care what he said. I don't even ask him. I don't even ask her. I'm a grown. You know what that really is? We, we, do, we treat each other so bad in marriage. If somebody did that to us, we would be devastated. 
And God says, be kind, be kind. How can you be kind? Because we have the Holy Spirit of God living in us. We want to create miracles in the name of Jesus. I declare and I decree. Well, Lord, start declaring and decreeing over your marriage. Stop this nonsense in public. Forgive, just like you're forgiven every day. Somebody hurt you. Yes, they did. And so have you hurt somebody. But guess what the God of heaven does? He said, I forgive your sins, and I cast them into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered anymore, removing them as far as the east is from the west. That's what God does. What makes us any better than God? we got wandering eyes. You really think you could do better? There's always someone else you could have married, but you didn't marry them. You made a choice and a commitment. And when we obey the commitment, the love grows. Here's another cause. I'm, I'm almost done. Fooling around with outside interests causes us to reject our spouse. That can be work. I'm taking care of my family. You're working 90 hours a week. You're taking care of your family. No, you're destroying your family. An extramarital affair, addictions, hobbies. There's a, gambling is, 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 is commonplace. There are a lot of people who are broke today, re rejected their family to get a quick dollar, standing in sub-zero temperatures to hit the lottery, but can't come to church if it looks like it's going to rain. Something wrong with that, ain't it? And here's the final main thing. And these other failure to obey the word of God. You totally disregard scripture's command to love and respect your mate. Jacob rejected Leah because he thought he could do better. He treated her bad because she wasn't Rachel. Guess what? Whoever you are, you'll never be somebody else. And we need to learn how to love who we are in Christ. Paul said, I'm crucified in Christ, but nevertheless, I live. You, your uniquely designed self, you still live. The Lord wants to live his life through the way he has uniquely designed you. If he wanted you to be a copy, he would never have made you an original. How can you silence the voice of spousal rejection? Here's the first thing. Remove yourself from dangerous relationships. Hagar had to flee because Sarah was trying to get a homicide. Sarah was trying to hurt her. She was trying to abort that pregnancy. I can just imagine it. Uh, she, she, she looks out the window and there's Abraham rubbing Hagar's stomach. Oh, I see his kicking. <laughs> she, she, didn't, she didn't plan for that in the agreement. Sometimes when you're in an abusive relationship and there's reject, you don't stay there. Well, I'm praying and I'm asking for God's will. Flee. Flee. And then tell the elders and the pastor of the church, especially if the person is a professing Christian and they're putting their hands on you or doing something terrible to your children. And then we'll call the cops on them and go to court and help them get locked up if that's what's required. Rely on the Holy Spirit to strengthen you and give you direction. You can't do this on your own if the person is Jacob and they haven't changed. It took Jacob a while. 
his pig pen experience when he had to go back and face Esau. He had, a, he had to come into Jesus' experience. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Renew your mind with the scriptures and godly counseling. Some of us need to be in therapy. We need somebody to talk to, just pour it out, tell them everything. All your fears, all your queries, your crazy thoughts, tell them. The Bible says there's wisdom in a multitude of counseling. You need to know what God says about you. He loves you unconditionally. Remember, God is watching and will bless you. Leah had 12, she had six sons, two of them made amazing impact on history. One of them was named Judah, who was the progenitor of the tribe of Judah, and that's the tribe that the Messiah came from, came out of the womb of Leah. Levite was the first Levite, Levitical, uh, the priest over the nation of Israel, and all of his sons. He was born to Leah, not Rachel. Here's another thing. And we're done. Repent or be judged by the Lord if you're guilty of rejecting your spouse. And you may be doing it because you are, you've been hurt and you don't know how to love your wife. You sh husbands and wives should be best friends. You should be enjoying each other. Marriage should be sweet. You should be, you should, can't wait to get home. But sometimes we need to repent and say, you know what? It hasn't been my wife's fault because I've been this way. It's my brokenness. It's my pain. It's my issues. And Lord, before you, I am coming to my own. I'm coming to my senses. I'm repenting. And then you want to reboot. Start fresh. I don't care what you did yesterday. You can start new today. Somebody say amen. You can start new today. Some years ago, I got a call from a woman who had visited the church I was pastoring. She didn't give me her name. She, she called as an anonymous caller. And she said, I can't stand my husband. I went out of this marriage. And then she went through a list of things of why she wasn't going to remain in her marriage. And she said, after all that she could think of her husband's failures, she said, do I have a biblical grounds for divorce? And I said, I'm sorry, you don't. The next thing I heard was click. After she said, I wish he would die. I wish he would die. About two weeks later, I get a call. Same lady. This time, she gave me her name. She's crying hysterically. I said, are you OK? You need, you need to call 911? No, she finally stopped crying. She said, my husband is dying. My husband is dying. I said, well, tell me, tell, me, tell me what happened. She said, well, my husband has been treating me a certain way because he was diagnosed some time ago with a terminal incurable disease. And I'm not going to go into any further detail because the person might be listening right now. But this is not the only kind of situation I've had. And as I'm listening to her, I said, can I talk with your husband? She said, yes. So I get it. He gets on the phone. And I said, I'm on my way. So I go over. And before I do anything else, I ask him, do you know Jesus? He said, no. I led that man to the Lord, and he, he just cried and cried, and they cried. And he looked at his wife and said, I love you more than life. And I said, I'm going to make a commitment. He said, 
for the next three months, I'm coming to your house every day, every week, and I'm going to do biblical marital counseling, and I'm going to walk through how to grow in your spiritual life. That man died five months after that nine months, that three month period. He died. He died. But the woman called me. She said that was the best. 90 days of my marriage. I've been married for 15 years, but three months. My husband helped me to, to be free from the spirit of rejection. He taught me that it's okay to love. He taught me that it's okay to be vulnerable. He taught me that it's okay that I'm not perfect. He taught me that God accepts me and so does he. Stand with me. I want you to know all of us have been guilty of rejecting someone at one time or another. We even rejected God. <laughs> the Bible said we were all like sheep without a shepherd. We were fleeing from God. There was none righteous, no, not a single person. But God sicked the hounds of heaven on us. Because the Bible says no one can come unto the Father except the Spirit draw him. The Spirit drew us. You came to church, somebody invited you. You didn't know that you would get saved that day because the Holy Spirit was the one who really brought you here. So as we stand before the Lord right now, with every head bowed and all eyes closed, I wonder if you have accepted the Lord or are you on the opposite side of the fence where you're rejecting his love? If you'd like to accept Christ right now, because you really believe that even when we were rejecting him, God proved how much he loved us by sending his son to die. That through his death, burial, and resurrection, every sin, past, present, and future, has been paid for. I don't know about you, but I've been saved since 1972, I, 76. I still haven't gotten over, 72. I still haven't gotten over the fact that I'm saved. The Lord saved me. I love him. I want to serve him. I'm not looking for no rocking chair. I'm not looking for no comfortable seat. I want to die living for Jesus. That's how I want to go. I ain't trying to die all out in the pulpit. That's, I'm talking about living for Jesus wherever I can serve. But if you don't know him as your personal Savior and Lord, would you raise your hand? Because I want to lead you into a right relationship with Christ. Is there one? Maybe you're listening and you haven't made a decision for Jesus, but you want to say yes, that Jesus died and was buried and rose on the third day. Maybe you're a Christian and you have backslidden, you're in a carnal state, and you don't even know that the reason you have no joy, you have no peace. You have more money than you've ever had, but you don't have any peace. You have things that you never imagined that you could have. You don't have any peace or joy. You're miserable. And you will continue to be miserable because the Lord says, once you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good and you turn, it's like a dog going back to his own vomit. You need to return. You need to repent. Because God is chastening. You just, the manifestation of it just hasn't hit you yet. You're in carnality. You don't even know you're being chastised. God's going to touch your finances. He's going to touch your health. He's going to touch your relationship. He's going to touch everything that he needs to touch to bring you back to him. Maybe you're a person who has never 
Don't have, you don't have a church home and the Lord said, this is the place where he wants you to unite and join. And joining a church is not a casual commitment. You need to have your backside here or listening on a regular basis so that you can grow. That's what the Bible teaches. The world needs to see Christians who are committed, not playing games with the Lord. If your desire is to be committed to the Lord and become a part of this fellowship, would you raise your hand? Maybe you're listening and that's the desire of your heart. You can call us and we'll let you know. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I want you to bow down, right, bow right where you are. Minister Will's going to give us our benediction, but I want to pray. Father God, I pray right now for every marriage that has been under the attack of Satan and we did not recognize that our warfare is not against flesh and blood. And one of the greatest weapons that Satan uses to destroy marriages is rejection. Father God, in Jesus' name, I pray that we would take our, our, ourselves out of the hands of the enemy and present our bodies as living sacrifices holy unto you. Father God, I pray that we would see that every gift that you give us is perfect and good because it comes from you. God, may we not curse what you have blessed. God, may we treat those who live in our household the way you treat us. You love us. You bless us. You give us favor. You serve us with all kinds of opportunities to just receive from your hand. God, may we be instruments in your hand to, to bless our mates, not take them for granted. God, may we stop waiting for them to change. May the change start with us. Father God, may we love like you love. May the world see in our marriages what it really is like to be a part of the body of Christ, where our Savior loved us so much that he literally died. He left the riches of heaven to become poor for us, that through him we inherit all of the riches of heaven. God, right now I pray for our children who've watched us demonstrate in their presence, things that don't reflect our relationship with Christ. God, I pray that you would just cause them to look again. Father, I pray that they would not turn their hearts against marriage, but that they would see that marriage is really a good thing. Father, I pray for every single person. Father, I pray that you would heal their hearts from anything that has broken them, that has wounded them, that would make them hesitant to trust. Father, I pray right now that you would release a spirit of freedom, a spirit of, 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 of faith that says, if God said it, I'm believing it. Father God, I'm praying that you would just right now release, 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 release us from the bondage of the things that have held us back. Release us, oh God, from a spirit of unforgiveness, a spirit of hatred. In the name of Jesus, God, set us free. 
God, we ask that you would just move in the midst of this congregation right now. Touch anybody who's sick, oh God. We know that you are a healer, God. We, we ask that you would do this. We're not demanding it. We're asking because you said you would give us the desires of our heart. We're asking right now. Father, we're praying that you would release the financial blessing on those who need it today. But God, I'm asking that you would use every tool that is available to you to bring us to our needs if we're living in sin. That you would blow away everything that we earn if we're stealing from you. You said that you would do that. Father, we're calling on the spirit of repentance.